Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. What does it mean to evangelize? And when you hear that word evangelism, what kind of thoughts, what sort of feelings rise in your heart? Maybe for some of you, it puts you on edge right off the bat. Evangelism, ugh, it's almost a dirty word. It makes you think of, of televangelists, of people who are hawking the gospel for money so that they can get a bigger jet, and who doesn't want that? Maybe it makes you think of knocking on doors, going door to door, and asking people if they died tonight, would they be with Jesus? Maybe it, it makes you think of, of pressure, of putting the nail, putting the screws to somebody until they finally agree to believe in God. When you think of evangelism, when you hear that word, what does it bring to your mind? For too many people, it's a negative thought and feeling. Certainly it was the, that case for me for the longest time. I felt like to be an evangelist, to practice evangelism was this guilt-ridden thing. It was this burden that I had to carry. I recall how once I was sitting with my campus ministry group where we were being harangued and harassed to put the best construction on it, uh, to go out more and more knocking on doors and telling people about Jesus. We had to get out there. It was this big load that we all felt like we were carrying each and every day. And I remember raising my hand and saying to our campus leader, like, you're always telling us about going out and telling good news to other people. Do we ever get to hear good news? <laughs> I think a lot of us can feel that way when it comes to evangelism. It's about pressure. It's about being pushy. And it's not a positive thing. Does it have to be that way? Is evangelism just inherently negative? No, no, it doesn't have to be that way at all. And in fact, it is a positive and God-given gift, not only to speak the word of the gospel, but to hear it spoken to us. And in today's gospel, we see, we're given a glimpse of a better way to think about evangelism. It comes in the context of this dramatic, powerful story of a man who was a demoniac and who, who spent his days living in tombs, buck naked, who was breaking bonds as the, the power of the evil one was filling him. When he was asked what his name was, he gave the name Legion. A legion was a, a group of 5,000 Roman soldiers who were a terror to their enemies. And so here this man is filled with dozens, hundreds, perhaps thousands of demons who held him under their thumb until Jesus comes and heals him and sets him free. And straight away, he wants simply to, to sit at the Lord's feet, to be in his presence. But Jesus says, no, no, I want you to return to your home. I want you to go back and to do what? He says, declare to everyone what God has done for you. Declare what God has done for you. In this simple statement, Jesus has given us a better, clearer definition of, of what evangelism really is. And I want to define it this way. Evangelism is telling the story of what Jesus has done for you. Simply put, evangelism is telling the story of what Jesus has done for you. Maybe that's not the way that you've always heard evangelism talked about, and certainly it's not the only way to define it, 
But it's a simple way to think about it. What I want to do this morning is to to walk through that definition of evangelism to help you feel more bold and more confident to be evangelists yourselves, as you all are, as those who have been called and claimed by God. But even more than that, I want to talk about evangelism because the world needs evangelism. We live in a world that is, is dark and struggling, where people's hearts are weighed down And the only hope, the only hope that they have is Jesus. The only hope that they have is people like you and me telling them about Jesus. So what does it mean for us to do that? To tell the story of what God has done for us. That's what I want to walk through this morning. So let's think about that first part of evangelism, that definition. Telling the story. Telling the story. When we think about what it means to be an evangelist, maybe you have different images in your mind for what it looks like to be an evangelist. Some of you might think of an evangelist as a scholar. It's the know-it-all, the guy who has all the Bible knowledge, all the the theology answers. For others of you, you might think of an evangelist as like a lawyer, somebody who is able to convict and convince someone of the truth. For others of you, you might think of an evangelist, as we've kind of already alluded to, as more like a salesman. Somebody who's able to get you to sign your name on the dotted line, who is going to press to get the deal done. You have all these different images of of what it means to be an evangelist, and there's some truth to all of those. We should know things. We should seek to be able to defend our faith and to give an answer to anyone who asks of us. And indeed, we might even want to be able to persuade others to show how the gospel is the solution to which the problem of sin uh, riddles all of us. So there's some truth to all those different images. But the primary biblical image of an evangelist is that of a storyteller. To be a storyteller. I mean, think of one of the most powerful, potent evangelists in the Gospels. It's not St. Paul. It's not one of the disciples. It's the Samaritan woman at the well. You remember her? She's the one whom Jesus found hanging out at the well and whom he told to her, recounted to her, of how she had had four husbands before, five husbands, and the one you're living with now is not your husband. He called her to account and proclaimed himself as the Messiah, the great I am, the one that she was truly looking for, that he was the source of living water. This woman heard all of these things and she believed. And then what did she do? She went back into her hometown, she went back into Samaria, and she went and recounted to everyone. She told the story of what Jesus had done for her. And the hordes were converted. Suddenly, throngs of people are coming out to Jesus saying, we want to hear more of this. She was an effective evangelist because she simply told the story. Think even of the evangelists themselves. That's the the technical name for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The evangelists. Because what do they do? They tell the story. They're storytellers at base. That's who they are. That word evangel, from which we get evangelists, it simply means good news. They're people that are telling the story. They're telling the good news. We get this here in our text in a way that is kind of covered over by our translation. When Jesus says to the man, go and declare what God has done for you, the Greek word that's translated there as declare is diegomai, from which we get our English word digest, like Reader's Digest. And what the word literally means is to to narrate, to lead somebody through some events, 
to tell the story, to tell the story. And Jesus is telling this man, and he is telling us, that when you go out and proclaim the good news, you're simply telling the story. You're leading others through what God has done. That's it. No more and no less. Telling the story to others. And why would God tell us to do that? To tell the story. What's so important about storytelling? We all know how storytelling is just, it's like it's hardwired in us. I remember from the very earliest days with my kids, and Beatrice in particular, she would come to me and she would say, Daddy, tell me a story. (laughs) You still do, although your pronunciation is a little bit better. They want to hear any stories. Kids are that way, right? Tell me any story. I don't care how boring it is. I just want to hear a story. I think grown-ups are like that too. Speaking personally, as a preacher, I can tell a difference, you guys. When I start telling a story, the way that ears perk up, right? Some of you even wake up from a a deep slumber. No, you stay asleep. But uh, we are hardwired for storytelling, to hear it. And why would that be? It's because God is the great storyteller. We're told in the scriptures that he is the author of our faith. We're wired for stories. And so to be evangelists is simply to tell the story to others. That's the first part of that definition. We're telling the story. But we're not just telling any story, right? We're not just meant to be raconteurs. There's a fancy word for you. But we're telling a particular story. There's that old gospel hymn, I love to tell the story. You guys know that. I love to tell the story. Is it just a song in praise of storytelling as such? No, of course not. I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of uh, uh, tell of Jesus' glory, to tell of Jesus' love. That's what story we tell. We tell the story of what Jesus has done and what God the Father has done. And just as a side note, did you notice that in today's story? Jesus says, go and tell of what God has done. And the man goes and tells of what Jesus has done. You see what Luke did there. Very interesting. This, at its essence, is what it is to evangelize, to tell the story of what Jesus, of what the Lord has done. When we talk about the gospel, the gospel is not just good ideas. It's fundamentally good news. It's a report You and I, as evangelists, are like that guy who used to say, extra, extra, read all about it. Which is not to say you should go out and stand on the corner and just yell at people with a bullhorn. In fact, others have tried that, and I don't think it's all that effective. But it does mean that when we think about evangelism, it's fundamentally telling the story of what Jesus has done. Leading other people through the events of what our Lord has done. We don't have to to get into the weeds of theology and and trying to explain all of difficult doctrine and so forth. You don't have to start with explaining how God can be three in one, to go back to last week, right? You tell the story of what Jesus has done. And what are some of the best ways to do that? Well, let me give you uh, just a couple ideas, kind of practical things on that score. One is to keep in mind what we call gospel nutshells. And in our neighborhood ambassador training, we talk about this. A gospel nutshell is when in like 10 words, more or less, you can convey to somebody kind of the essence, the basics of why it's good news of what God has done. And you can just draw from particular Bible passages which is like, 
cram all of the, the message and the story of the scriptures into just one little verse. We talked before, the most natural one to go to is John 3.16, right? Let's see if you can say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. See, you know it already. The gospel in a nutshell. It's a story that we are able to relate to others. When they come and they ask you and they're like, hey, why do you have hope? What is the good news? If you get that moment where you're just, you know, you turn like the, the deer in headlights, right? And you're like, oh, God, you know? Then suddenly, remember John 3, 16. Oh, yeah. Or maybe you remember Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. By grace are you saved through faith. This is not your own doing, not of works, lest any man boast. There's all kinds of, of gospel nutshells in the scripture. It can be a simple way to relate the story of what God has done. And let me give you one other uh, idea for thinking about this. We recite it each and every week. The creed. What is the creed? The creed is a, a nutshell of the story of the Bible. It's breaking it down of how the creator saw his good world that he had made. The father who loves us. When he saw us mired in sin, he sent his son in order to redeem us. Who died under Pontius Pilate and who was raised and now is sitting at the right hand of God. And that now that same Lord has sent his Holy Spirit who is renewing and restoring all things even now. You can use the creed as a kind of structure, as a, a nutshell of that story of the good news of what God has done. It doesn't have to be so complicated, guys. But if we stop there, we're still missing one more piece. So in this evangelism, we're telling the story of what Jesus has done, but then you need one last part. For you. What Jesus has done for you. And there's two parts to that for you. Proclamation and testimony. One of these Lutherans are more comfortable with, and one of them they're not so comfortable with. Let's start with the easier one. Proclamation for you. Martin Luther says that the gospel only becomes the gospel when it has those two magic words joined to it, for you. It's not just hearing about something that God did long ago, but hearing that that message and those actions are for you, for your redemption, for your forgiveness, for your renewal. And we know this intuitively, right? If you hear, for instance, the news that a baby has been born, you think, oh, that's news. But when you hear that your baby or grandbaby or great-grandbaby has been born, that's good news. I had the, the pleasure and privilege this week to be over at the home of Dave and Willie Adams when they heard the news that their great-granddaughter, Harper, was born. And I don't think he minds me saying it, that as soon as he heard it, Dave broke into tears of joy. Because it wasn't just news, it was good news, right? This is why the angels proclaim to the shepherds on that Christmas Eve, they say, unto you is born this day a Savior, that you and I have a baby born to us, who is Christ the Lord. When we're evangelizing, we don't just want to proclaim the gospel in general. We don't just want to say what God has done, but that he has done it for you, to forgive you, to make you his own. So that's the proclamation side of it. But there's also the testimony side. And testimony is where we're a little bit less comfortable as Lutherans. Testimony is where you're proclaiming what God has done for me. 
how he has been active in my life. And there's good reasons that we get a little bit uncomfortable with that. I was talking with my friend Tanner this week, and I wrote about it in The Inklings, and he was saying how he doesn't want to make all of his poetry about himself. He wants to shine the light on the Lord, because if, he said it's like his, his Lutheran upbringing has really trained him for that, that it's not about him, it's about Jesus. And that's a good instinct for all of us to have. We want to shine the light on the Lord, not on ourselves. But you know what? The Lord makes his works known through the lives of his people. He bears witness to his own presence and glory through your life and mine. We shouldn't be ashamed of sharing of the ways that God has worked in us. And it can be as simple as saying, you know what? I used to think like this and act like this, but God had this action in my life. He gave me this grace and it changed the way I think about things. It can be as simple as I was having a really struggle in my life, whether it be a struggle at work or a difficulty in relationship, but I saw how the Lord sustained me through that. Not every testimony has to be the story of how you were rolled up in a ditch after another drug overdose and God saved you, gave you a vision and brought you out of the ditch. If that's your story, more power to you, okay? But that's not the only testimony. More often than not, those testimony, the powerful testimonies, are those simple, sudden moments when you see the Lord's working in a new way, when you recognize how he has claimed you to be his own. And I remember for myself, one of those moments was almost a kind of reverse evangelism. As there had been uh, this neighbor of mine, a guy by the name of Chris, who I was trying to witness to. I was trying to evangelize. And this was many years ago. I was still stuck in this mindset that this is my job to convert this guy, right? And the way that I'm going to do it is to show him how moral and how upright a dude I am, right? That always works. And make sure he knows, hey, I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't stay out too late. I'm a really good person because nothing gets people more excited for the gospel than seeing all of those other snooty, too-good Christians, right? But that was kind of where my, where my mind was at. And so I was getting to know Chris and trying to find these opportunities to witness to him, to prove to him I was in that salesman mode, to get him to, to sign on the dotted line. But I remember this moment where he and I were going for a walk. And I was, again, trying to persuade him the truth of the gospel. And Chris just stops and he looks at me and he says, Ryan, the problem is you're so good. I need a gospel for me because I'm not so good. And in that moment, I realized he himself, this unbelieving pagan with blue hair, he taught me something about the gospel. It wasn't about how good I was, but how good Jesus was and is for me. When we tell testimonies, we simply share stories of how God has been good to us and led us to a deeper appreciation of his grace. It's just like the song goes. We say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. It's as simple as that. Evangelism doesn't have to be pressure-packed. It doesn't have to be about brow-beating. Evangelism doesn't have to be scary. It's simply telling the story of what Jesus has done for you. And wonder of wonders, 
the author of faith is able to enlighten more and more people with the good news of what he has done. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand for prayer.